everybody, and welcome to yet another edition of the Time Out with DG podcast. I am your host, Daniel Gotera, coming to you once again from my humble abode in an undisclosed location in our beautiful city of Houston. Thanks for tuning in. Before we get started on this episode, episode 19, go ahead and subscribe to the podcast if you haven't already. Give me a nice rating if you like the content. If you don't like the content, then just go ahead and skip that rating portion. Um, no need to give me one star. Uh, you don't need to send a message that way. Thank you, though. Just don't listen again. Uh, that would be even better. Anyway, episode 19. I'm excited about this one. One of the more exciting ones that we've had so far. And you're probably wondering, if you're a frequent listener to this, where was the Latin music off the top of the episode? You know, you're kind of used to starting one of my shows and there would be some nice little Latin music, some salsa, some merengue, some cumbia. Well, this time it seemed like you were walking through the doors of NASA, and there was a reason for that, because my guest on episode 19, a very special guest at that, is former NASA astronaut Clayton Anderson. He is retired now, but he has lived an amazing life. And I figured since this week the space program was back in the headlines, I'd invite someone who is a big fan of the Houston sports scene, who spent a lot of time down in the Houston area in all his years at the Johnson Space Center in NASA. Uh, Clayton has been tremendous. He follows me on Twitter. Follow him on Twitter. He's very active on there. He's always following up on what the Astros, Texans, everybody's doing. He's a big fan of Nebraska football. He is from Nebraska. And this week, like I mentioned, I thought it'd be fun to have an astronaut on to talk about not just the current expedition, the SpaceX rocket that everybody is so excited about, first manned mission into space from the United States in nearly a decade. So that's exciting stuff right there. We touch on that a little bit, but I also wanted him to talk about just his life in general because, um, you know, sometimes we get bogged down in sports and sports stars. He idolizes a lot of sports figures. And in turn, a lot of people idolize him for what he's been able to accomplish. He's logged 166 official days in space. His first trip up to space was on the shuttle Atlantis back in 2007. He spent some time on the International Space Station. By some time, I mean 152 days up there working with two Russian cosmonauts uh, working aboard the International Space Station. But I, I wanted to know how a guy who loves sports so much got his sports fix up in space. And he had some pretty interesting stories about that. Not only did he watch Nebraska football, but he tuned into the Texans. And he had a great story about an Astros legend and his son, who was 10 at the time. Anyway, Clayton's a tremendous guy. He's a motivational speaker now. He also is a professor at Iowa State University in Ames, Iowa, and he's written several books. His latest book, Letters from Space, is coming out this September 2020, so he's excited about that. We touch on that, too. So I hope you like this episode. Like I said, it's a little different, but I think it was worth it. Clayton Anderson, retired NASA astronaut. Here it is. Well, it's a pleasure to have you here on the podcast with me, although we're doing it via Zoom and this new age of uh, communication. Clayton, how are you? I'm good, Daniel. It's a pleasure to be with you, and um, I love sports. I love what you do on TV, so it's perfect. Well, I appreciate that, and I didn't even pay you to say that, so thank you uh, <laughs> for, uh, for doing that. Uh, the boss you need me to invoice it. you? 
Yeah, well, you know what? Let's kind of leave that aside. We'll talk about that after. Um, so anyway, I guess my first question to you is one of the questions that I always ask of my podcast guests is, like, how do you describe your life and your journey up to this point? Well, uh, that's a pretty broad question, but you know, I'm a small town kid from Ashland, Nebraska, who dreamed nearly his entire life of flying in space. Um, but more so, I dreamed my entire life of working for NASA. And as a realist uh, from the Midwest, I knew that becoming an astronaut would be a huge uh, obstacle, you know, a huge and difficult um, against the odds pursuit. And so for me, the goal of simply getting to NASA and working there as an engineer was probably my primary objective. And then when I got selected as an astronaut, that would be icing on the cake. So what was it about NASA? What was it about space travel when you were such a young kid? Do you remember, like I remember the first time I wanted to be a broadcaster, right? I mean, I think we all have those moments where we kind of go back and remember that one moment in time. Do you have that one moment or was it just kind of a buildup? What got you so interested in this field? It's a good segue to a Whitney Houston song in that one moment in time, but uh, <laughs> I'm going to start playing that right now during the uh, bed of this audio. So go, no, go ahead. So there's two, two aspects to this story. Uh, one is my recollection. I was nine years old when my mom and dad got my brother and sister out of bed on Christmas Eve in 68 and put us in front of a black and white TV to watch the Apollo eight guys go behind the moon for the first time. That's what I remember. That's when I thought, Oh my God, I want to do that. But my mother would tell you that I was um, six years old and that she and I would discuss that one day I would become a United States astronaut. Now, I don't remember that at all, but it was a vivid memory of hers and she loved to tell people that story. So um, from that early moment, though, going through high school and I love NASA and I wanted to do some NASA stuff, but I went to Hastings College in Hastings, Nebraska a small Presbyterian school because I wanted to play football, basketball, and run track there. I, want, I was an athlete, and I wanted to continue being an athlete and not good enough to play at Northwestern or the University of Nebraska. <laughs> My <laughs> hey, hey, back then in the 70s, uh, I can't believe they won a game. So, uh, <laughs> honestly, to be perfectly <laughs> frank. But uh, anyway, so that also you had both, right? You wanted to be an athlete and – you have both of these goals and these ambitions. Right. And, you know, I really dreamed of playing uh, professional football for a long time. I was a punter in college. Uh, I, w I was a wide receiver and running back, but I wasn't big enough, strong enough, or good enough. But I was a pretty good punter. And uh, the Kansas City Chiefs uh, had me on their prospect list when I was a senior. And then I would ultimately go to Houston and try out for the Houston Gamblers, which was an amazingly interesting experience. <laughs> Well, we're going to get into that. I, I, I didn't know about this. We're, we'll get into that. But go ahead, continue. We'll kind of come back to it. Sure. So, you know, being in a small school and playing sports was really important to me. And it also led, believe it or not, to a summer internship in 1981 at the Johnson Space Center in Houston for NASA, only because a 1961 Hastings College graduate worked at the Johnson Space Center in Building 30 and came home to hunt pheasant every fall. Wow. 
Yeah, it's pretty amazing, right? To, to think about where I started and where I ended up. And, and by the way, this is in my book, The Ordinary Spaceman, From Boyhood Dreams to Astronaut. But this guy came up to pheasant hunt in my senior year, and he pheasant hunted with a guidance counselor from Hastings College. And as they talked to each other, uh, they learned that NASA had a summer internship program. The guy provided us the application information. Uh, I would be interviewed over the phone because, you know, back in those days, we didn't have Zoom and all this <laughs> stuff. But, yeah. And I got my first internship in 1981. And it turns out that I would become the first astronaut ever to start as a NASA summer intern. Is that right? Wow. That's incredible. Um, so I guess take me back, we'll kind of go through the uh, steps that you just mentioned here in a little bit, but it's take me back to that one moment where you, when you were a little kid in 1968 and watching that on TV. Um, you know, now we see all the documentaries, we see all the different videos, we go to NASA, we see what was accomplished, but like, what, what was your thought process when that was happening live? Because we're blown away by it now. I'm sure back then it must have been tenfold. Yeah, and to sit on Christmas Eve near midnight, right? We were supposed to be asleep and watching a black and white TV. And all I could see at the time, at, at first, were the guys in the control center, right? And it was all men in white shirts with black ties and crew cuts and pocket protectors. And but the the energy and the the vibe that was coming from that TV broadcast was captivating to me. And then as they're talking to the astronauts back and forth, and then they make the burn and eventually they're headed behind that big rock, the moon, you know, and they, they go behind the moon. You can't talk to them anymore. And I was like, right. All oh the drama. People talk yeah. about reality shows. Now that is like the ultimate reality show. And, and as a nine year old kid, I'm thinking, is there a volcano back there? And did it? Right. Yeah. Nobody knew. Right? At that point, nobody had any clue. No. And so for 15, 20 minutes, whatever it was, I was like, <laughs> until I heard the Quindar tone, the little beep, beep. And then uh, the Capcom, the capsule communicator in Houston kept trying, you know, he expected them at a certain time to be able to communicate. So he's calling Apollo 8 Houston over Apollo 8 Houston and getting nothing but static. And then you hear the Quindar tone and here comes Apollo 8 and says, Hey Houston, Apollo 8 here. Yes, Virginia, there is a Santa Claus or whatever the line was that he spoke. And man, I was like, Oh wow. I want to be one of those guys. Yeah. And that's, it just captivated me. That's, that's such a cool thing. And then, I mean, you go through, I mean, all the, all the other steps of the space program back there of the Apollo program, um, landing on the moon and then Apollo 3. I mean, all the stuff. I mean, it just, I'm sure, just enriched your interest even more. So then, then that, that one first moment that you remember. Yeah, it was, it was a unique thing that um, Apollo 8, then Apollo 11, and Apollo 13, and, and Apollo uh, uh, 15, and the Gene Cernan, the last man on the moon, all that stuff, it did exactly that. It just packed on top of me the desire that I wanted to do that. But as I got older and went to school, I kind of just blew it off, right? I didn't, I didn't see myself in a position at Hastings College, Nebraska, where I would be able to do that until 
I got this call from a guy who was a pheasant hunter, you know, and once they said I had that internship job, the next thing I knew I was there. I was walking the sidewalks and then being in the buildings of NASA's Johnson Space Center where all the astronauts were. So what was that conversation like? Did, were, were you believing it at first? Did you have any idea that this guy, you know, was, was even around? That he would, I mean, what was that conversation like? Because you, you had this dream, but then it becomes a reality when you have this talk with him. Yeah, I would never, I never talked to him, the guy from uh, Hastings that worked at NASA. Oh, I didn't did? talk okay. to him until, uh, I don't know, my I'm trying to remember until I got a full-time job at NASA in 1983. And then I went and found him and he actually was working in, on the, in the same building I was on the floor right beneath my office. And so that was the first time I met this guy, Maynard Huntley, who came home to pheasant hunt. So him providing the application and the information was outside of my window. I just, I didn't know about him until uh, I met him later. And then, uh, a couple years ago, back in Nebraska, he came to uh, the solar eclipse event that was in Hastings, and uh, he and I did an interview together, which was pretty cool. Um, so, when you're at the Johnson Space Center, what was the what was the mood like back then, 1983, 1981, 83? What was what was the feeling like around that building? Well, you know, they were blowing and going, right? The the in 1981, one of the first meetings I attended was the STS one. Uh, post-flight symposium, right, where all these guys and gals get in the room and they're making presentations on what they learned from the very first shuttle flight in April of 1981. And I'm just, I, I don't understand <laughs> any a, of it, right? That's a heck of an introduction, by the way. <laughs> yeah, and I, I still have somewhere my little pink symposium badge that I had to wear to get into the event. But you know, I, I was blown away and, and overwhelmed by all the technical data, but that was the heyday, right? The shuttle was just starting its big deal, and, and for, you know, 20 more years, uh, it was going to be NASA. You know, it was NASA, the space shuttle program, and to think that I actually got to ride on, on it on a couple yeah. of them to get to space was pretty amazing. So I guess I go back to my first question then, just summing up your journey. Can you even to this day still believe that you were able to do all the things that you were able to do? I know you've written several books. We'll talk about your latest book here uh, in a little bit. Um, but can you even believe it? I mean, most of us are careers here on, on, on earth and we have our, but you, I mean, you were, you were places that a lot of people dream of going. Yeah. It's, I have to pinch myself a lot, you know, when we prepared for the SpaceX launch uh, yesterday, I was extremely envious of those guys. You know, somebody told one astronaut said one time, flying in space is like doing crack. You know, you got to have some more. And you do, right? Once you go there, you want to go back. Um, and to think that I came from Ashland, Nebraska, with a population of about 1,800 people and was able to do. 167 days in space and six spacewalks and all the cool things that I've gotten to do. Uh, I'm very blessed. I'm very lucky. Um, and obviously timing is everything. <laughs> well, timing, timing and a lot of hard work. You, you put yourself in the right, in, in the right position too, obviously. So when, what's, when did you realize that becoming 
uh, one thing is to be go from an engineer working in Johnson Space Center and you kind of moved your way up. When did that path open up for you? And kind of just walk me through for the people that don't really know how to, you know, go from an engineer to then go uh, be in the astronaut program, the official astronaut program. Well, they tell me I hold the record for applications. So I was selected in my 15th year after my 15th application. And I didn't even get a sniff from those people until year 13. Um, and I think that's because in my history, I was a decent engineer, right? But, you know, there are a lot of decent engineers. And so it took me a while to establish my reputation and move up the chain, if you will, uh, to get to the point where I had enough exposure to the right people to say, hey, this guy might make a good astronaut. And it wasn't until that 13th year, and you have to update every year. They don't select every year back then, but you had to update every year to be considered part of the pool. Mm. Uh, and so I claimed 15 tries and got selected on the 15th, but maybe that's a, a little disingenuous. But uh, in year 13, to get an interview uh, and then not go past that phase was hugely disappointing, but then people whisper in your ear and they said, well, you know, you did pretty good, but you didn't quite give them what they were looking for. And so that was good because then I had a, a way to prepare for the next interview yeah. in year 15. So I feel like you got your foot in the door, right? They always say, hey, just get your foot in that door. And that was the door that you needed to get into. Uh, what were those? What was the interview like after waiting for 13 years and you're sitting in the room? With, I don't know how many people were there. I mean, like, a year, what's, what's going on through your mind? It's like, man, I, 13 years, I can't blow this right now. I mean, this is my chance, right? I mean, that's got to, this is like yeah. emotion, right? Well, I think you'll love this story because I had to set myself apart, right? The, all the applicants are really smart. They're really accomplished. A ton of them are military jet fighter pilots and helicopter pilots. And here comes this guy from Nebraska, you know, who's just, just been an engineer. So the story I told uh, was because I was a college basketball official and I had the opportunity to referee for the Houston Rockets in their preseason training camp in Galveston the year after they won their uh, first NBA championship, right? So I'm telling, yeah, I'm telling the story of Akeem Olajuwon and uh, Mr. Mean, Larry Smith, and uh, um, Kenny Smith, right? So Akeem travels big time. I mean, he just – he traveled a lot, right? <laughs> if you go back and look, and yeah. so here I'm a college referee trying to referee pros, and I didn't have any pro experience, right? So I call a travel on Akeem, and Akeem looks at me and he goes, I did not travel. And I go, Akeem, you walk. He goes, no, I did not travel. And he goes to uh, Kenny Smith. He says, Kenny, did I travel? And Kenny says, I ain't, I'm not getting into this, Akeem. And then he looks at Larry Smith and he goes, Larry, did I travel? 